My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Monique Woraniak and Liz Carlson. Most of us who are not ourselves Indigenous to this continent know very little about Indigenous peoples, their histories, and their present-day realities. And of course, saying that is equivalent to saying that most non-Indigenous people on this continent, most settlers, particularly most of us who are white, don't really know much about ourselves, about the histories that formed us, about the present-day social order that produces us and sustains the lives, experiences, and expectations that we take for granted. We live in and are products of a deeply colonial reality that we often remain largely oblivious to. Being exposed to more and better information about that history and that contemporary reality will not, in and of itself, produce changes in consciousness among settlers or social change. But access to good information can be one element, and in some cases quite a crucial one, of broader processes of change. Indigenous resistance is constant and ongoing, but in those moments when it breaks through to mainstream consciousness, one of the ways that some settlers react is to ask questions, to recognize that things are not as we had been led to believe, and to try to figure out what's actually going on. It can therefore be an important contribution to larger struggles to invest effort in making sure that there are accessible resources that non-Indigenous people can seek out to find answers, and that those resources tell the accurate but difficult truths about this country that cannot be escaped when you refuse to erase the voices and experiences of Indigenous peoples and the harsh realities of ongoing colonization and resistance to it. Monique Waraniak and Liz Carlson are two members of a group of white settler women based in Winnipeg, Manitoba, who have taken up the task of producing just such a resource. The website is groundworkforchange.org. It provides basic information about context, background and issues, and links to many further resources. It foregrounds its commitment to working towards transformed relationships between non-Indigenous and Indigenous peoples that are rooted in justice and solidarity. It is largely constructed from material that has been written by Indigenous people themselves and has been organized based on extensive consultation with diversely located Indigenous folks in Winnipeg. And it is targeted to answer the many questions to which settlers from across Canada so often grow up not knowing the answers, to filling in the blanks that colonial education and media systems have left in our consciousness, to providing a resource for learning and, based on that learning, for acting in solidarity. Waraniak and Carlson talk with me about the issues, the project, the site, and what they hope it can accomplish. We spoke by Skype from Winnipeg. My name is Monique Waraniak, and I reside here in Winnipeg in part of Treaty 1 territory and the traditional lands of the Red River Métis. I've been active in Indigenous solidarity work in the city probably, I would date it back to about 2012 or so. And I'm also going to maybe just mention another member of the group or another two members who aren't with us here today, but should go on the record as being contributors. 
One is Lisa Stepnick, and Lisa is a Winnipegger and did a lot of Indigenous solidarity work here with the Winnipeg Indigenous Solidarity Movement over the years, and also did a lot of work with No One Is Illegal type groups in Montreal when she was there, and then coming back and continuing with some of that work, and she contributed as well. And Ashlyn Hagland, who can't be with us today, is someone who now lives in Winnipeg, but grew up in northwestern Ontario and has been working towards decolonizing in all kinds of ways for a number of years. Currently, she works as a consultant and an advocacy coordinator for Pima Chickamauk, which is a band up here in northern Manitoba, and she's helping them with their organizing against hydro. I'm Liz Carlson. I'm a student. I'm a social worker. I'm someone who came to be involved in decolonization work and anti-colonial activism coming out of more anti-racism focused work that I've been doing over the years. I appreciate Monique acknowledging that we're on Treaty 1 territory here in Winnipeg. I think for me this work, it's been a personal process, it's been an academic focus, and it's also flowed out of my connections and my relationships. And I'll also mention another member of our group, Lark Gammy. She's someone that I met in 2009. She and I had both attended a anti-racism workshop here in Winnipeg where Peggy McIntosh and Eddie Moore Jr. came and spoke. And for a lark, she shared that this was an epiphanal event for her and she became more involved in anti-racism work after that point, which also led her to work on her dissertation on white racial consciousness work. She's also a member of the Decolonizing Network here in Manitoba, which we'll probably say a little bit more about as we go along because it's been a group that many of us have ties to and it's been part of the resource group for this website. I can say a little bit about introducing Groundwork. As we say on the website, it's not an organization, it's a website. (laughs) The women that we've just mentioned along with ourselves are the core group. But in terms of it being an organization, we wouldn't characterize it like that. More of a project, I guess. I kind of initiated the idea, and then knowing that I wouldn't want to do this kind of work in a vacuum, put it to Liz, who put it out to this network of folks in the city, the Decolonizing Network, to see who had some time and who wanted to bite. And that brought on a few more people that were each able to give different amounts of time and different talents to it. From my perspective, the context for this website is the context of historical and ongoing colonialism in Canada. It's also the context of rampant racism. And I know that Winnipeg was recently named one of Canada's most racist cities in a McLean's article. And from my understanding, the idea that Monique got for the website came out of an interview that she gave that was triggered by that magazine article. Yeah, I had been interviewed by the CBC Morning Show here in Winnipeg. They had sent their producers out looking, however they do these things, for somebody who might have experience with the concept and practice of being an Indigenous ally. And I don't label myself like that, although they did at the beginning of that interview, and I remember just like cringing live on air. But was able to talk about my journey to doing some of this work and how I felt about doing this work in Winnipeg. And after that piece aired, which I think wasn't too long after the McLean's article, I got a relatively speaking huge response on my social media accounts and just lots of quote unquote ordinary Winnipeggers or people that maybe have slightly left leanings but you know haven't been active doing anything just asking questions about like, well, how do I find out more about doing work like this or what I should be thinking about or can you show me something to read? 
And I have been getting those kinds of questions in sprinkles and then spurts, depending on what was happening in the news over the last few years, fairly regularly to my social media accounts. But after that CDC interview, they just spiked. So the idea for the website was something I had had for quite some time. But the amount of correspondence that I was dealing with after the interview kicked it over. And I was like, well, there's obviously an appetite out there right now amongst people who aren't in our immediate activist circle and who aren't even in five, six, seven circles out. You know, the people that I think of when I think of my parents or immediate family members who live very different lives from what I do. And that got me really, really excited. So that's how things started off. I'd want to mention just one more piece of the context, um, the backdrop for the website, which is hundreds and hundreds of years of Indigenous resistance colonialism in Canada. And also the I Don't Know More movement, I think it really made possible some of the connections that have happened in Winnipeg and some of the people that have met each other in order to bring the circles together to make something like this website possible. Give me a sense of the range of levels and kinds of knowledge that you find about these issues among non-Indigenous folks. It's hugely wide-ranging. There are people in the city that I know have zero awareness. And if it's possible to have, like, less than zero. And then there are non-Indigenous activists, both white and of colour, who have enormous amounts of knowledge based on them having travelled very far with this work. So the range is just huge, and I would love if Ipsos Reid or one of those polling companies put a poll in the field with some decent questions just to see what people's actual knowledge and awareness of both the histories but the sense of how people are thinking about things structurally or not. And I think Winnipeg, like most other places in Canada, most people aren't thinking about them structurally. Tell me more about the initial phase of the project. So going from having the idea to actually implementing it. I had the idea and circulated it via Liz to the Decolonizing Network. And pretty much at the same time, I had written up a rough two-page outline of what this thing might look like. And that's posted on the site as well, a slightly cleaned up version. And I circulated that to 17 or 18 Indigenous folks in my various circles. My thinking was that if there wasn't any non-Indigenous folks that was interested in working on the project or just didn't have time and everyone's so busy, that I was going to go ahead and plug away at it regardless. I had already circulated maybe a week before, not even, that outline document amongst some members of the Indigenous community. I could have probably circulated it to even more. I was very deliberate about my choices and... I felt like I knew enough that I could get a fairly respectful cross-section of people. So it was circulated to Indigenous folks working as professors. It was circulated to Indigenous folks who were supported by the state. It was circulated to a good number of students. There's some really wonderful Indigenous post-secondary activists in the city right now. People with kids, people without kids, people from the LGBTQ community, a couple elders... So I did my best, at least within my contacts, to say not to send it to the young people or not to send it to the academics or whatever. Where I know it fell short and be doing things to make up for that fact or work with that fact is not really voices much from the Métis community and no voice from the very small Inuit community here in Winnipeg. That'll need some work going forward. And the Decolonizing Network, 
three good women sent emails back <laughs> and said, yeah. And the real kickstart to it, Liz and I were just going over this the other day, was we had two long meetings. And we really only met in person twice. The first one was three, three and a half hours. Second one was maybe a little shorter. And say, okay, well, what might the goals of this thing be? Who should the audience be? Is it possible to narrow it down? Is it desirable to narrow it down at all? What are some major categories of information that just have to be there? And what are some cool things we'd like to see if and when there's time? That was one of the things that I was really happy to not be doing the work in a vacuum about because anything like deciding the goals of something, which is really essentially deciding something's values, right? That needs more than one good brain. It needs lots of good brains. So that was really, really helpful. And the section of the site that's under the About menu that provides that information is pretty much almost verbatim from the notes that were taken from those meetings. And I think it's a testament to the collective experience and the good thinking and the heart of the women that were in that circle that that section was visited quite a bit from the initial group that was shown the outline. The website was shared back with them before it was launched or pushed out wider. And those pages got a lot of visits. And I think it was a testament to the good work in that group that no one had anything negative to say about those sections. They were like, no, that feels solid. Two meetings is not a lot, but I mean, two three-hour meetings is not nothing. And we spent a lot of time on those foundational pieces. And it really helps to make decisions, I think, about what gets added and what can wait. There's all kinds of levels of information under that about section. There's the very sort of value-based things, like what are the goals. But we talked about more practical things, too, like how many academic articles should be on this site? Where should this be pitched and that kind of thing? And the decision was made that we're going to try to marginalize the academic articles on the site a bit. Sometimes you can't avoid it because it's all that's out there on a certain topic. But the goal was to try to find as many popularly written pieces as possible. But all of that thinking came out of those two meetings. Give listeners an overview of the contents of the site. We wanted it to do three things. Well, four. We wanted it to provide people with information about some of the concepts that are directly related to growing just relationships and doing Indigenous solidarity work. And so there's this first section called Learn the Lingo, and it's very focused on terms and concepts. We've tried to find sites and sources that very clearly arrive at some kind of consensus definition of what, you know, so-called allies are what settlers are, because we know that word's going to come up. Concepts like what's colonialism and articles about what it is and the fact that it's still going on. I think that's a big shift for people. What does decolonization mean or what could it mean? So there's some writings about that. What does Indigenous sovereignty mean? And then we have writings in there that obviously aren't specific to doing Indigenous solidarity work about racism and the different forms of racism, racism as a structural thing, which is really, really big. I think the more people that can make that shift, gosh, things are going to get a lot easier in some ways. Resources about white privilege, things that got added in after we had some feedback from the initial group of Indigenous folks who saw the outline were asking about, can you put something in there about people saying they're colorblind and that being like total BS and stuff? So we went looking for articles about that. So there's that kind of concept information. And then the heart of the site are these other two sections called Learn Some Basics and Learn Issues. 
many of them are just, I don't want to say fact-based because it makes it sound like there's no context in them, but some of the links there really are just, you know, here are the numbered treaties and we're in Winnipeg and this is Treaty 1 and, you know, everyone's talking about it, so here's a link to it, right? It's not long. It'll take you a while to absorb it, but you can probably read it in 10 minutes, <laughs> that kind of thing. Lists of First Nations communities in Manitoba and what cultural nations they belong to. Just really basic awareness information. The Indian Act, the Royal Proclamation, the pieces of the Constitution that are important for Indigenous peoples. And what we've tried to do, and happily there's a lot of good stuff out there, is we've not just like put a link to the Indian Act and just let it sit there. We've tried to find accessible writing, explaining it, putting it in context, talking about the ways in which it's problematic. And happily, there's a lot of amazing writing by Indigenous folks. And then under Learn Issues, it's, I think, a lot of predictable things, but just the sites that people really ought to be connecting with to learn about residential schools, the 60 Scoop, Missing and Murdered Women and Girls, and Two-Spirited Folks, Child Welfare Systems, Issues of Aboriginal Title and Land and Water Rights, one of the pages that has had a huge number of hits is the Taxation Funding and Myths page. I think that's a really great one for the so-called average person. You know, Indigenous people pay tax, and, you know, not everyone gets all of their school paid for and all of this kind of stuff. There's been so many great articles out there, just little punchy things that have blown those myths out of the water. And we have some things that are very specific to Winnipeg. We have a brief page about our water source, Shoal Lake, that's been in the news nationally just recently. The place where Winnipeg gets its water from and has for roughly 100 years cannot actually drink the water from that lake. Even though the Shoal Lake number 40 First Nation lives on Shoal Lake, they can't drink the water from it. And they have no road access out of their community. And that's caused, obviously, enormous problems in the community, not the least of which is people have lost their lives over the years. And then the third section is the Act in Solidarity section, and that was really important to us because we're not so naive to think that information can change everything. It's a nice starting step, but really all of our learning, most important learning, has come through building relationships with people. And more people need to get out there and meet and listen to and learn from the Indigenous community members in this city. And a lot of things that happen, unless they're very mainstream things, are almost solely circulated in certain circles on social media. And so this is our way of lifting those out as permission is given from community members and getting them at least someplace where you can share a link <laughs> to a wider group of people. And then the last part, this is a small section on the site, but it's one that needs in some ways the most care in how to grow it, is the building capacity section. Our thinking was, as people are starting on their journey, or maybe they're in a midway point or whatever it is, and you start getting sticky questions, or you're like, how can I grow more in my understanding on any number of things? The information under building capacity, we're hoping will address that. Right now, it just has some stuff under having crucial conversations, so about facing white privilege and how to start discussing race things like that, that push things a little bit more for folks that have already started thinking about stuff. In the future, that maybe will grow to share some stories of non-Indigenous settler peoples and their learning journeys. But for now, we just wanted to acknowledge that we thought it was important enough to have that really pushing people a little bit. Something you've alluded to, and as someone who does a lot of grassroots media work, I think about it a lot as well, is the limit to what can be accomplished just by getting good information out there. What's your sense of the potential importance and impact of something that's focused on conveying information 
but also the things that can't accomplish? I don't think that just because somebody has read the right article, watched the right five-minute video, whatever it is, means that the next time that they see Action X going on in the community, that they're going to run out and join. I know this on a very personal level because I knew a lot of this stuff in a very book smarts way before I, I knew it in a feet in the street way and in my heart and the different ways that I know it now. I actually think the page on the site that really may end up making the most difference is the acting in solidarity section. Because I think that there's probably a good amount of people out there that just want to do something. Now, there's problematic ways people can go about doing that and all that kind of stuff. But I think for many Winnipeggers, and this is particularly around the issue of missing and murdered women and girls, are thinking, well, what can I do? And to the extent that some of them are only going to be able to find out about these things through the site, I think the site can push a good amount of change for a number of people. We've been careful on that page. I think it's got some language on there about acting in good ways, and it's more about justice and not charity and that kind of thing, to try to at least people stop and read that if you're not going to read anything else on the site, you know. But I think it's a natural thing. I think that once people, in many cases, take that first step, because we need to remember that there are many, many, many people in Winnipeg and elsewhere who have never had a conversation with an Indigenous person in their life, Right. I'm related to some of them. And it is very much taking the step to meet someone that you're socializing has taught you that you were never meant to meet. I think that after that happens, and hopefully people have good experiences, all of a sudden you start to have questions. I think it's just a natural thing. Questions about something, maybe not about everything we've posted on the site, but about something. And there'll be a place for them to go. And I think once then you learn a little bit more, and then you just kind of can't stop learning and acting. I'm under no illusions that people just reading this information is going to change the city. For those that, say, are more readers or more consumers of information than they are doers, I would think and I would hope that after they've gone through a certain amount of it, and then when the next big thing happens in Winnipeg, because it's guaranteed something either incredibly joyous is going to happen again, or something awful is going to happen. This is a surety, probably both of those things. And the last really horrible thing that happened that pulled the collective consciousness of the city together was young Tina Fontaine being found in the river. And that was extraordinary. There hadn't been that many people demonstrating in Winnipeg. I was told from people who were there since the first Gulf War. Coming in on 3,000 people marched through downtown Winnipeg for Tina and her family. Not a huge number, but for Winnipeg, large. And that was the first time that I had been in an Indigenous Solidarity-related demo in the city where I did not know most of the white people there. And there will be something else that happens like that here. And it will either be because somebody accomplished something outstanding or because some horrible thing happened again. And there needs to be a place for people to go to make sense of that a little bit. So I think it's sort of a chicken in the egg, six of one, half a dozen the other thing. But I think everyone in the group would agree that if there's a toolkit for doing this work, we use a toolkit metaphor, I don't know. You need all the tools, and this is one of the tools. It might not start the building, but it's going to help push it along, and it might prime some people up to do the actual work that is needed.
I think that Monique's right, that some people who go on the site are asking that question, what can I do, and might find something and might do something. In the organization I work in, my colleague and I were so excited when everyone started asking, what do we do, what do we do, and then we gave so many ideas from so many people of what to do, and it's becoming more and more clear to me that they really don't intend on doing much of any of it, but the thought that I have is the one thing that they are going to do is they're going to correct racist misinformation that's said around them. I, I know that some of them will do that. The other thing that I think will happen is that I think progressively we're seeing a shift happening in the collective consciousness here. That's what I believe. And I think that things are going to change. They're on a trajectory to change. And I think that the more people that already have a little bit of knowledge going into it, there's going to be a tipping point when those people are going to be really important in the picture. That's what I believe. So that when big shifts start to happen, people who haven't quite made a step, they can be easily tipped and then they have enough of the basic knowledge to support them going forward and to support those changes that we're going to see. That's what I believe will come out of it. So now that the website has launched and is out there, what's coming up for the project? I need to watch some tutorials about how to get it kicked up on search engine results and things. So there's some practical nuts and bolts. We're going to meet sometime in the next few weeks and talk about what kind of process, whether it's something formal or something a little more informal, we want around checking in about what should go up on the site going forward. We just want to have ways of touching base you know, does this seem good or do we want to share this back with a few members of the Indigenous community who are doing some of this thinking and see what they think of that? And eventually, I would love to see a way for us to collect and post short snippets, whether it's video or short stories or of settlers and non-Indigenous folks sharing what their journey to learning has been. Young woman, Tasha Spillett, I think I was sharing my story with her and she said, there, that. More people should hear things like that. That's something that's really resonated. And the idea that you, as in you non-Indigenous person, and specifically you white person, you need to talk to your own people about why this is important and how they can do it and how you did it. And so I've not forgotten that. Tasha's saying, I can't tell them that because my journey is different. The whole other thing she's trying to deal with, right? I think it's really important I know that had I heard something like that from somebody that looked like me when I was like 22 or even 25, 37, I think I would have started on this work sooner. You have been listening to my interview with Monique Waraniak and Liz Carlson about a new resource that they and others have created to give non-Indigenous people in Canada a way to educate ourselves about Canada's relationships with Indigenous peoples. You can find it at groundworkforchange.org. That's all one word, groundworkforchange.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.